Ideas can change the world. They can. But how? Welcome to Reify, where big ideas meet real life. Our guests help us to take abstract ideas and break them down into actions and strategies so that we all walk away with tips or advice on how we can integrate big ideas into our everyday life. This week's episode is on onboarding, and I have to share why I wanted to talk about this. I was listening to a podcast recently that featured a woman who was working at a big company. She was with HR, and her big project had been fixing their onboarding program. And what she found was once the onboarding program was effective, that a person who participated reached optimum performance two months faster than an employee who didn't. There were two reasons I think I kept focusing on that. One is just that two months is a lot. That's a lot lot of time. You don't see companies just throwing around two months worth of resources. So that's, that's a really big impact. And the second reason is that just made me feel like onboarding relates to everyone. This isn't just an HR thing. If I'm an employee and I care about whether the person sitting next to me is working effectively so that I can work effectively, or if I'm a manager, or if I'm a CEO, I I care a lot about that two months. This program impacts me, whether I'm in HR or not. I also wanted to think about this beyond companies. I mean, what does this mean for groups in general? What, What about someone who joins my nonprofit organization or people who join a church or families who move into a neighborhood? Does onboarding relate to them? Are there ways that we can scale people into a new community more effectively? I don't know. That's why I wanted to talk about it. (laughs) But the unfortunate thing is I'm not in HR. I don't have a background in HR. So to me, onboarding is just this abstract concept. That's perfect for the Reify podcast. We like to talk about abstract concepts and make them real. So what I wanted to do was talk to some people who work on this kind of thing every day. That way we could take this abstract concept of onboarding and reify it or just make it real. Learn what it means day to day. So I invited some people to join me in a conversation. We had this conversation at the end of July at HQ Raleigh. Let's take a second here and you can listen to me introduce them. So here's who's helping me in this conversation. First, we have Jess Porta, the director of HQ Raleigh. HQ is a co-working space and so much more. HQ has grown from Raleigh to Greensboro to Charlotte and beyond. And HQ hosts hundreds of entrepreneurial and business events every year. Jess, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. And to kick off the episode, we love to ask each person, how do you take your coffee? Just straight black. Um, Actually, at HQ, we have Carbro coffee, which is really good, but it's also really strong. So my husband calls it battery acid. So I I drink that. Yep, straight battery acid. We are also joined this morning by Susan Sanford. Susan is the executive director of the Research Triangle Cleantech Cluster, RTCC. And RTCC is an initiative to accelerate the growth of the Research Triangle region's cleantech industry. So its members include business, government, academic, and nonprofit leaders who are all working together within RTCC to drive our area's cleantech economy. Yeah, that's a mouthful. Yeah, (laughs) it's great. So Susan, how do you take your coffee? I also take it black like Jess, but most mornings I have a cappuccino. Nice. So our third guest today is Molly Weeks. Molly is what's called a certified SHRM professional. SHRM stands for the Society of Human Resource Management and is the world's largest HR professional society. 
Molly is also the CEO of the HR consulting firm Empower Your Life. Molly, how do you take your coffee? Well, if I drank coffee, it would most likely be a, a lot of milk and a little bit of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Just coffee-flavored milk. Yep, coffee-flavored milk. So there you have it. I had three guests with me that day, all ready to talk about HR. I had Jess from HQ Raleigh. I had Susan from Research Triangle Clean Tech Cluster. And I had Molly, the certified SHRM professional with decades of experience in HR. And as you probably heard... I had two people who take their coffee black and one who basically enjoyed coffee-flavored milk. It was going to be a great conversation. Now, with the Reify podcast, something we like to do is have one of our team members write a quick poem to introduce the theme. We shared it with our guests before starting the conversation. Our team member, Susanna, is not with us today. She's in Canada. Um, she writes a poem for each episode of the Reify podcast that we do. So here's the poem. Let's start with something you probably know. People, yes people, make businesses grow. So you've hired some new people. Well now what do you do? Our question is this, how do you do new? These folks have ideas, so let's dive in. Your business is shaped by how your people begin. That's right. That's <laughs> love that. To kick off the conversation, I wanted to ask for a definition of onboarding. Molly was the first one to volunteer an answer. For me, onboarding actually starts before you ever hire someone. Um, it is setting the environment um, so that all of the people that you bring into your company are well acquainted with your company and well acquainted with who you are and what you want to be. Fascinating. So what you're hearing her say there is that onboarding is so much more than the first day of work paperwork. So I did some research after our conversation and I found that this is a big deal. There are a lot of HR organizations talking about not day one, not your first day of employment, but day zero. They're really interested in this process between, okay, what happens between the interview and someone accepting an offer and their first day? I mean, think about it for yourself. Have you had jobs where you accepted the offer and then really didn't hear anything from the company? You kind of show up on the first day guessing where to park and hoping that the job offer was real and that this is a real company? Or have you had experiences where as soon as you accepted a job, you received your name badge, information about when your computer would arrive, and some welcoming notes about what lunch would be like on the first day or week? I think it really varies. When we talk about onboarding, we're not just talking about your first day. We're talking about the experience of joining an organization. And what Molly's helping us understand is that experience begins far before walking in on your first day. After Molly's definition, Susan chimed in and she added to this description of onboarding by clarifying what it should offer to a person who goes through the onboarding process. What I would add to that is that in addition to expectations about making the person or the company feel value, it's, you know, what are expectations for you? How do you get value out of your work? You know, what is, are your personal drivers and are, you know, are you a good fit for our team? Uh, and related to that, you know, we feel you're a good fit for our team. So really communicating to the person that, you know, we want you to be part of our team. I think onboarding is a key part of communicating that. I love how Susan ends that statement. Also, she says, we really, really want you. So she's saying that onboarding is a chance to tell the people who are joining your organization, hey, we really want you to be here. That seems really obvious, but I think when a lot of groups don't think directly about their onboarding process, 
they miss these incredible opportunities to make people feel valued right from the beginning. And from that, Jess was able to jump in. Now remember, Jess is the director of HQ Raleigh. So HQ is a startup in and of itself. It's only about five years old. And then, of course, the members of HQ Raleigh are all startups. And people like Jess are supporting these startups as they grow and scale. So she jumped in and told us what it can look like for a startup and why some companies just never get around to developing an onboarding process. A lot of what happens in the startup world is that we have companies that come in and they have this great idea or service or product, and they're very focused on building out their business to enhance that idea or product. And they get pretty far in terms of ideation, and then they turn around and they're like, oh, I have to hire someone. I have to actually do accounting and run my business. And so it's something that ends up being more of an afterthought, especially the hiring and HR piece. Because before you know it, you're a 10-person company, and you have zero orientation process, and you don't have any organizations or regulations around your company, and you have whatever company culture you accidentally came up with. So here, Jess was telling us a story that it sounds like she has seen played out a couple of times. You have this entrepreneur with a great idea. They're focused on their product. Then, oops, they realize, okay, I need to hire some people to help me with this. And then they hire and hire and hire a couple times. And before you know it, there's that 10-person company that she says could have zero orientation process. So groups are really missing out on this opportunity for onboarding because they're just growing quickly, focused on their idea, and they're not focused on onboarding. At this point, Molly jumps in and shares that this isn't just the case for startups. Now remember, she's a SHRM professional, so she's kind of seen it all. And she brings up how sometimes even big companies fight against planning time and investing in onboarding. There are so many people that are like, oh my gosh, it's a waste of time to have them go through all of these like different steps in their first week. I just need them to start working. <laughs> and I always refute it and say, if you help them to feel like they know how to navigate the organization, they're going to be more value added to you in the long run. Jess responds to this right away. She tells us what she sees when organizations don't go through HQ Rally's orientation. With our members, we find that member satisfaction is based on, you know, what expectations they're given at the beginning versus what reality actually is. And so we find that the orientation piece is actually the most important because it's our one chance to get in front of members and set or employees and set this expectation of what things should be like, what our company culture is like, what our operations are. And we actually find that if members go through a different orientation than what I gave. So if they go to a different community coordinator, they all have different trajectories of behavior and different expectations. So we try to keep it as consistent as possible. And it's this really important piece of what we do to sort of set the tone from the beginning. So where we do see conflicts or areas of concern can all be traced back to this idea that an expectation was not set early on. Conflict. What Jess is talking about here is people who don't go through the orientation, new members of their organization that don't go through the orientation might be more likely to have conflicts with other members. And why? Because expectations aren't set. Expectations aren't clear. This onboarding process is a chance to do that up front. Think about all the time and headache and stress that could save if we truly used onboarding, if we used orientation as an opportunity to set expectations. At this point, Susan jumped in and she flipped it a little bit. Instead of talking about preventing conflict, 
she took on a more positive aspect of onboarding. She shared how the Research Triangle Clean Tech Cluster uses onboarding as an opportunity not just to prevent conflict, but to promote relationships. Here's her describing a pretty unique aspect of their onboarding process. You know, one of the things we try to do to help companies when they join the cluster is we have them come and present to the network. So we onboard them one-on-one, you know, they meet with our team, the staff, but it's it's got to be beyond how can you get value or how can we give you value, you know, from a staff perspective, but also let's make sure everybody in this cluster and this network in this region knows who you are and what your company is and how you fit within this industry. So we're trying to really accelerate, you know, the individual and the company's relationships here in the region. What I love about this quote from Susan is that, again, we're going beyond that typical definition of onboarding. She's talking about having new members present to the organization to say, hey, here's who I am. Here's how I add value. And also, here's what I'm looking for. Imagine what could happen if we gave new team members, new organizations, an opportunity to clearly say, here's the value that I'm bringing, and here's what I'm looking for. That's something that could really make a lot of organizations stronger. Molly had a comment about this. She talked about a group that she was a member of for a long time, and she shared some of the simple things that they did to help new members who had just joined the group. We make sure that we have new member events. As people um, onboard, we make sure that we reach out to them on a regular basis. We have new member kind of tables at monthly meetings, and we used to just have table assignments. And then we started putting more tenured people with the new people so that they felt kind of more ingratiated to the organization. And that way, from the new member networking event, they were starting to make friends. And then we made sure that board members were also reaching out to them so that they felt like they were part of the larger organization. Now, if you're like me, you might start thinking here, okay, yes, it's great to have table assignments so that new members get a chance to sit with people that they haven't met, learn from existing members. That way, existing members aren't all sitting with their friends. But how do we apply this? I mean, how do we get people to join our network without having to do table assignments at lunch every day? That's just not feasible. Well, I think we're seeing some organizations trying to answer this question. It seems like more and more organizations are focusing on building a really strong team culture and having team events that promote team building. And that came up. Here's Jess talking about some of what she's seen. It's very trendy right now to talk about having a culture and to talk about your culture. If you're a good company, you've always had a good culture, and that's how this has become a hip thing. Like a trendy, like it's very trendy to talk about your culture. Yes, it's, but it's almost dangerous because sometimes companies are like, our culture is beer and pizza. We do pizza Thursdays. And those are foods. That's not a culture. Those are foods. Right. Those are foods. Definitely not culture. Um, a couple of my friends just got hired by a company that I won't mention, but part of their onboarding process was a two-week boot camp where you do like a field day and um, a ropes course and just things that sound like a living nightmare to me. Um, and it really feels like you're just forcing something that you think could be called culture instead of having actual values of your company that you know, really comes down to that value piece that they actually embrace and care about in, in an authentic way. I think that those things are things that you can talk about in your orientation, and that should really be the underlying tone to your 
core um, operations and values and should be included in your orientation. It's way easier to define what those things are than, um, actually, it's, it's way easier to define what those things are not than what they are. That's not a culture. Those are foods. So that was a funny quote that came out of that discussion with Jess. She was just remarking on the groups that say, oh, we have a culture. We do pizza on Thursdays. We do beer on Fridays. And yes, that is trendy to talk about your culture in that way. And she mentioned how she's seen that with onboarding when she talks about her friend who joins a company and there's a two-week ropes course. But are those things a culture? What she questions there is, are those things inauthentic or can they be if they're not directly tied to values? That really jump-started a discussion. As soon as you start talking about values, I think we all had something to say. Here's Molly and Susan and I responding to Jess's comment. That's why I always go back to orientation starts from the beginning. What core values does this person really need to align with? What is most important to the hiring manager? what's most important to the person that's going to fill this role. Then on the actual day one, I always go through the core values and I say to them, I went through the core values during the interview and I'm going to go through them again. These are our core values and this is what it means to us. If you see that we're not acting in this way um, or in acting in a way that does not really align with our core values, please tell me because I want to make sure that we course correct right away. Oh, wow. So that's really powerful because something we say a lot at Reify, because we care a lot about our values, is, you know, Enron had a mission statement. So having a mission statement or just saying you have values is one thing, but how do you, how do you live those values? I'm really hearing in this conversation, Molly, you know, you talk about onboarding starts before you bring someone on board. It really does start in the hiring process. And I think that what you're saying, Jess, about the ropes course thing is that it feels inauthentic. And culture is about authenticity. I really enjoyed this part of the conversation because I think we were really tying everything together here. We started this podcast with Molly reminding us that onboarding begins before day one. And then here, we learn an important reason why. Your organization has values. Now, hopefully you've worked on what those are and you clearly communicate them. If you don't, there are still values at your organization. They just might not be values that you like. But if you've worked on your values and you understand your values and those around you understand your values, then that should be a part of the hiring process. The values should be clear as you're trying to find someone to fill a position. And then when onboarding starts, those values should be reiterated. And Molly even challenges us to say, hey, these are our values. If you see that we're not living them, tell us. We want to know that. And Susan is emphasizing if we see something like, a ropes course challenge that doesn't connect to values, maybe the reason we feel like it's cheesy is because it's just inauthentic. And great culture is about authenticity. At this point, Jess took an opportunity to tell us a little bit about how HQ lives some of its values in a really authentic way. For us, I won't dive into any specific core value, but we as an organization, when we started, we came out of a call from the community, even down to like the beer and the coffee that we drink, all those things came from suggestions from our members. They can change at any time from suggestions from our members because that's what we're authentically about um, is building out who we are and, and what culture we have based on that feedback um, from our members. Okay, so I've taken a couple notes here. So one is that when you talk about your values, it's not just a list. 
you find ways to show those values. And you brought that with you this morning. We asked what kind of coffee you drink, and you mentioned that there's local coffee at HQ because since HQ was from a call from the community, it uses resources within the community. Wow. So that's really powerful. If you visit HQ Raleigh, you might notice that they have local coffee, but what you might not know is the story behind that. If you look at their values and how they live their values, if you think about how they started and how they came from a call from the community, the fact that they have local coffee makes perfect sense. So I loved hearing this example. As we said earlier, even Enron had a mission statement. So it's more than having a mission statement. It's more than just having your core values listed somewhere. You need to be able to have examples of how you're living them and be able to share those examples at orientation so people can see how your organization lives those values. Susan chimed in here and reiterated that this might not be something that we just do during onboarding. I think what Jess talked about, you know, you talked about your mission, living your mission, and is something that we've talked about internally lately, you know, and making sure that, for example, every board meeting we have, that we start the meeting by stating our mission. Why are we all here to drive economic development? You know, and making sure that we kind of remind ourselves and our board, you know, that that's why we're here. At this point in the conversation, we all started sharing what we felt like our big takeaway was. Jess emphasized that the conversation was pretty relevant to some things that she had going on at the time. I think for me, um, it's just under, underlining the importance of onboarding and tone setting. We're going through the process of hiring right now, and we're a small team, um, and we are tired. <laughs> so is everybody on our team. And it, it just reiterates to me the value of really being present in the onboarding process and really giving yourself and your attention and passing on the core values that you have to the people that are joining your organization or joining your staff and just how extremely important that is from the beginning. It was interesting to hear Molly's takeaways as well, since as an HR professional, she really has seen so much of this up close. But she reiterated for us about how even someone who has dealt with onboarding for a long time can think about this conversation and relate it to aligning your organization and its values and its mission and considering that even during the onboarding process. My takeaway would really be from an HR perspective. You think of onboarding from an employment handling perspective, but to understand the onboarding transcends to business. Aligning yourself with other businesses that also align with who you want to be and who you are currently, it was really insightful because there are lots of small businesses. You can align yourself really quickly, but do you really want to publicly align yourself with that organization if they are contrary to what you really stand for? Overall, it was just an incredible conversation. I walked away feeling like I had learned a couple really important things. The first was... With onboarding, we focus a lot on companies and how they bring people on, but we can really think about this conversation as it relates to any time we're bringing a new person or a new group into an organization. What does it look like when someone joins your church, your neighborhood, even your family? What does that process look like? How are they introduced to you? As far as specifics, I actually walked away with five. So one is... It's not just about your first day. Onboarding starts, really, from day zero. And then two, onboarding can be as simple as orientation. It doesn't matter if you're a big company or a small company. What you need to think about is, what does, what does your organization want to get out of it? Is this just a way to get paperwork done, or is there something else you want to accomplish? Three is, we need to know our values. But 
We also need to communicate how we live them. We shouldn't just list them. As just explained, we need to talk about them and show them too. So rather than a list, maybe in your onboarding process, have some examples, have some stories, share that with your new members. Uh, four, there are some little ways that we can think about inviting new people. Molly had the great example of table assignments. Now I'm not saying that every day you need to make some kind of assigned seating thing at your organization, but when you have events, consider how you can use interesting things like assigned seating to help people meet new members. And then five, something I really loved about what Susan shared was giving her members a chance to present themselves to the organization. A lot of times we think of onboarding as we're gonna tell this person everything that this person needs to know to join our organization. But what do we need to know about that person? What do we need to know about that new group or new member? Give that person or that group a chance to communicate back to you, to tell you what value they're bringing and what they're looking for from your organization. I definitely feel like after this conversation, onboarding is a much more real topic. I feel like we reified it and I have to thank the three amazing participants who joined us for the conversation. So a huge thank you to Jess Porta, director of HQ Raleigh. A huge thank you to Susan Sanford, the executive director of the Research Triangle Clean Tech Cluster. And a big thank you to Sherm professional Molly Lukes. I have a couple other people I need to thank. To close out the episode, first, we want to thank you. Thank you for listening. And we want to hear from you. Tell us, what, what do you want to do with what you learned from this episode? What lingering questions do you have? Please reach out to us at hello at reifymedia.com. That's R-E-I-F-Y-M-E-D-I-A.com. Or you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can also get in touch if you have ideas for future topics or future guests. The Reify podcast was created, produced, and published by Reify Media, a digital media company based in Raleigh, North Carolina. We're supported today by Riot, the largest Internet of Things economic development organization in the United States through their Startup Accelerator program. You can learn more at ncriot.org. We're also a proud partner of HQ Raleigh, a co-working group with locations in Raleigh, Greensboro, and Charlotte. Learn more at hq.community. The Reify team also needs to thank two very early supporters of this podcast. Tom Snyder, the executive director of Riot, and Dan Schneider. Their last names rhyme, but there's no relation. Dan is the sound designer and music composer for Centerline Digital. He created and produced the music that you heard in this podcast. Please stay tuned for the next episode of Reify. We'll see you next time. More than logistics, who are we and who are you? Hit the ground running.